grant money is being used to push an explicit Planned Parenthood curriculum into local middle schools. What can you do about it? Plus, the Biden administration is weaponizing yet another federal agency against parents at school board meetings. We've got a former school board member here with us today to break down these issues and talk about how you can empower conservative school board members in your town. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our special guest, Sherry Story. Well, today we have with us a very special guest and personal friend, Sherry Story, who is a former member of the Suffolk City School Board, and also you are the chair of a new organization, the School Board Member Alliance of Virginia. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you, Candy. It's great being here, and I really appreciate being invited to talk today, and I'm looking forward to the topic. Thank you. Yes. Now, some of our listeners will remember when you were on earlier in our podcast history. Yes. But just to kind of give them a little refresher, as I mentioned, Sherry recently ended her four-year term on Suffolk City School Board. And I have to say, during that time, you really shook things up. Now, you sued the school board while you were on it. So you could say you sued yourself, right? I mean, is that fair? <laughs> That's almost a way to look at it, okay. yes. I think it's good to remember that, yes, I was on the school board. I was elected, but I also was a citizen. I did not lose that standing. And I felt as a citizen, our school board was not being open and transparent. And so I had to sue the school board in order to make them more compliant with FOIA. And specifically, Sherry, you were taking on the open meeting laws that they had to have open meetings open to the public, and you pretty much won, right? I did. I, I filed um, five claims and won three of those the first time around all the way up through the Supreme Court, and I filed a second time, and um, I believe I won those two because they folded um, and didn't want to go to court on them. So Yes, I, I would count that as a win as well. <laughs> well... You, after that, after you finished shaking things up on the school board, you decided to come shake things up at the state capitol, and you served as a lobbyist for us here at the Family Foundation, and we're representing parental rights at the state capitol, so we appreciate the the hard work you did on that. You were great. Thank you. Uh, but all this passion is coming from the fact that you are a mom and a proud grandma, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I have four grandchildren, two in the public schools, and um, I'm very passionate about what happens in the public schools as I was a public school teacher. So I have a lot of interest in um, what happens there. And education kind of runs in the family. Right? It does. My mom taught for 40 years um, in the public school system and uh, my kids went to public schools. So um, I'm passionate about what occurs in the public schools and I'm not willing to give up on them. And we just need to bring some conservative common sense values back to the school system. Well, let's just start with, since you have so much history in the Tidewater area, what's going on in Norfolk right now with that school board adopting a very controversial Planned Parenthood curriculum for kids as young as 11 or 12 years old? And sadly, I don't think this is the only school district where we're going to see this coming up as a problem, Planned Parenthood infiltrating the curriculum for young kids. So just to quickly bring people up to speed here, I just want to play this news clip. Well, you will hear our governor, Governor Yunkin, also expressing his concern. 
Governor Glenn Youngkin voicing his concerns over Norfolk Public Schools' new sex education curriculum. The school board passed the program in a six to one vote Wednesday night. It's called Get Real, Comprehensive Sex Education That Works. Sixth through 10th graders will be taught things based on grade level, and that includes things like abortion, homosexuality, and gender identity. Now the governor's team sent us a statement saying, quote, it will expose children to age inappropriate materials and goes on to say that the program is, quote, driven by a politicized Planned Parenthood agenda. Parents can opt their kids out of the lessons. Now, the school district has had several public forums on this, and it's been obvious just watching the news that the majority of the parents speaking up at these public forums were critical of this curriculum. And just to kind of boil down their concern, they seem to be really tired of the school promoting the, you know, kind of being, having these hyper-sexualized agendas at the expense of a true focus on academics. That's kind of the refrain you're hearing right. with the frustration. Yes. Um, Sherry, help us understand why the parents were so upset about this. But before we get into that, I should give a little parent warning that in this podcast, we are going to get into some descriptions of explicit material. And if you have little ones around, this is probably not a podcast that you want them listening to. So you'll want to have them um, out of range. But having said that, Sherry, help us understand why these parents were motivated to come out and say, please don't put this in front of our kids. Well, this um, explicit material uh, that Planned Parenthood put out was inserted into the Family Life Education Program. And I think that's what one thing parents are concerned about is the insertions. And it's a way to sort of um, seductively get material in that maybe uh, the school board themselves don't even know about initially and certainly the parents don't know about. So uh, that's one thing. It's being used for kids in middle school. The program uh, that we're talking about is called Get Real, uh, Comprehensive Sex Education That Works. But Get Real, it's anything but real except really bad. And it doesn't work. And so when it says it works, works for whom? And so none of that is ever laid out in front of the school board to determine, um, even from the title, what is the agenda of that? And of course, when you have sixth grade material and middle school material that is very explicit in terms of sex and sex assignment and sex positions, and when you have all that explicit material, parents get concerned, and rightfully so, they should be. Parents have a right to um, to acknowledge and to control what their students hear. And I was a parent. Um, I had more conservative values, and yet I I feel that parents these days they are they only they see it when their child brings the material home, which is too late. They've already discussed it, and so the whole thing is transparency to parents up front. And I think that's what the governor was concerned about. I think that's what the uh, state superintendent was concerned about. Yeah. Let me just mention, too, when you say it's being inserted into FLE, Family Life Education, which is the sex education program for Virginia. um, You know, one reason people were kind of outraged about that is because it was developed by the Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts. So, you know, it wasn't even developed in state. It's it's being inserted in. And I should say it starts in middle school, but goes up to high school. Um, and I just want to—I like your comment on that it that they it doesn't get real in any sense of the word because, no. for example, in sixth grade, they are taught to use the term "sex assigned at birth." That that is not reality. That's um, not. 
Right. Um, I can attest as a biology teacher, Candy, that is not true. Um, God assigns our sex um, in our DNA, and that's what's real. So um, it's certainly that is certainly misleading for kids um, to discern at the time they're seeing it. Also, the explicit nature of this curriculum overall, I just want to point that out real quick. Um, we, We can't really get into a lot of detail on that on air Um, But just to give you a general idea, and I think you did a good job kind of generally trying to explain that. But, you know, again, for sixth graders, there's detail on things like oral sex, homosexual acts. There's role playing exercises for middle schoolers in sexual, you know, on sexual situations involving condoms. You know, do you want your 11 year old, you know, doing a role playing, you know, scenario on that? Right. My personal opinion is no. And, And many parents feel that way. Um, I know as a school board member, that's the values I would have portrayed as well. Mm-hmm. So these sexually explicit um, activities, and you know, we always wanted curriculum to be interactive. In this case, this is not <laughs> the interaction that we wanted to be portrayed during curriculum. Well, and it puts kids in an uncomfortable position. Exactly. That, you know, this is your assignment, do this role play. I don't think that's really fair to them. It so. doesn't. It makes, and it's very confusing to them mm-hmm. because many have come from homes that are more conservative and this is not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so mom and dad say this is not appropriate if something mm-hmm. even comes on TV. And then they're in the schoolroom and they're conflicted. Acting it out. Yes, and they're very conflicted with teachers. Yeah. Who do I listen to? Well, you mentioned the state superintendent, I think. Yes. Um, talk to us about uh, what she said. The state superintendent of education, Dr. Lisa Coons, she wrote a strong letter um, to the Norfolk School Board, uh, which I read several times. And I, I felt her points were very, very valid. And I thought she expressed very well that this curriculum did not align with the SOLs, went much farther. She encouraged them to not adopt it. And, of course, as a former school board member, if I had gotten that letter, um, it would have had a great impact on me. And um, she, as a school board member, she is the state superintendent, and I would have weighted her and valued very much what she said. And I thought for sure they would not uh, pass it after receiving the letter, but they did. She made two very important points, I thought, you know, that it that it's not age appropriate according to Virginia Education Code and Family Life Education. And then also the standards that we have, if I I understand this right, Sherry, that they require abstinence. And this curriculum is clearly not emphasizing abstinence. No, it doesn't at all. Now, Norfolk said we have it in some other parts, but um, they're going to rely heavily on a curriculum they bought. And um, although it might not be mentioned, it certainly is not going to be emphasized in Planned Parenthood. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So she had some very good points. And um, I I really appreciate that she wrote a strong letter to the school board giving guidance. Yeah, we do appreciate the Yonkin administration that way for taking a stand like that. And the governor saying also his concerns. But, Sherry, you mentioned as a school board you would have respected that. Why do you think these school board members didn't? I think they voted six to one to approve this curriculum. They did. You know, uh, that's an interesting thing about school boards, uh, which is why I got involved in leading the new association. Uh, School boards members have a lot of um, background to them. Many of them are very, very left leaning. um, And and some of them truly come from left leaning um, areas within a district. That's true. Um, But also there is a lot of indoctrination. Um, in terms of who a school board member should follow. And often it's not their constituents once they get elected or the parents they represent, which is, in my opinion, um, not how elected officials and how this should work. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something else that I think we should bring up. (laughs) 
Um, and that is, you know, that they, they have a personal interest in a curriculum that they invest in. But but we did some extra research mm-hmm. and found that this actually is coming through a grant. So our team, our policy team, looked into this and found that it turns out this Planned Parenthood curriculum is being pushed through in large part through a grant being administered through the Virginia Department of Health. And it's right there on their website. It was there in writing last time I checked. And if you go look at it, it actually lists the cities that are using this Get Real curriculum. And this includes, I'm just going to list them out here, Norfolk, Richmond, Charlottesville, Roanoke, and the New River Valley. So I think this illustrates in a big way the problem when you have really good leadership at the top in the state, but you still got this holdover left-wing bureaucracy, and there's just this mess there that needs to be cleaned up. But in the meantime, what can concerned citizens do about it? Because you did did keep hearing left-wing people saying, well, this isn't a problem. They can just opt out. And that is true. They can opt out. Um, But, you know, there were just concerns on this not even following state code and law. So what what can the average citizen do about it at this point when it's being pushed through as a grant and all this, this stuff? Right. Well, even, even if it's with a grant, um, any parts of the curriculum, a school system has the right to, a uh, school board has the right to um, filter curriculum and not accept all parts of the curriculum. The school board is in charge of curriculum. And they have authority over curriculum and they have a duty to listen to parents and make sure that they are meeting as many of the needs of the parents as they can. And parents, um, truly, there's conservative parents everywhere, um, all up and down the spectrum, who really understand keeping the innocence of children when it comes to sexuality important. You don't have to be just uh, far either way on the spectrum to understand the importance of keeping sexuality away from children at too young of an age. So they, this is why it's very important that people and parents run for school board seats and then not, and forget, not forget to represent then the parents and all the strong people who got yeah. them there. Because we know there's lots of data out there that the earlier kids experiment with sex outside of marriage, they are going to be open to a lot of other issues whether yes. it's it's addiction or emotional issues that is clearly documented so people should yes. be able to agree with parents rights to determine when it's healthy for their kids to be exposed to these things and it shouldn't be prematurely obviously so that's right yeah. candy I, and i hope parents really from um so much of the encouragement of the family foundation and other um, organizations that they really look into the curriculum um, you can't tell uh, the book by its cover. You have to actually look at the curriculum materials. And parents have a right to see any curriculum ter- materials uh, that are being used prior to their being used. And so do school board members, by the way. Yeah, They have the right to see curriculum as well. And you just I want to reemphasize the point you made. School board members have the right to say no to a curriculum on behalf of parents, even if it's being pushed through as a grant, right? If the, you know, because a grant can sweeten the deal, but they can say no to that grant, right? Well, absolutely, and that's why all districts don't have it, and other, and many districts have said no. So, um, say no, just um, offer curriculum that is appealing to everybody and not offensive to anybody um, in terms of this hypersexuality and explicit materials. That is a, a strong, strong concern. Just say no to just say no. Yeah. Yes. Um, Well, that leads us into our next topic, um, getting into kind of the government overreach area. And we've all heard a lot about the Biden administration 
basically weaponizing the FBI against parents where they were labeled as terrorists and targeted just for speaking up at their local school board meetings. But apparently when, you know, they got some backlash from that, they found (laughs) another way to weaponize a federal agency. This is a story that's been developing over the last several weeks, and I feel like it's been largely ignored by mainstream media. Tell us what's happening, Sherry. Well, it's the the education department has been weaponized at the federal level, and uh, they're using a department within the department, um, a civil rights department, that is going after parents who are speaking up and succeeding in getting some of the pornographic materials removed. And just when parents are succeeding, the federal government overreach comes into a local school district, issues letters warning them um, that uh, the school board shouldn't be basically listening to their parents. Yeah. And if there's anything guaranteed in the Constitution, it's local control over yeah. s- over school boards. And, and parents and speaking the right to speak. Correct? Absolutely. And controlling, uh, you know, literally by voice, by a vote. Um, they have a right to determine what is in their school libraries in this case. And truly, it was a very explicit material. We have uh, Juliet Takes a Breath, where there are very detailed scenes of uh, lovemaking between lesbians. I mean, what adults do, they do, and and that's their right over 18. But this this is to children. And parents were very upset about it. And then we should mention real quick where this is. Uh, uh, yes, thank you. This is in Forsyth County, Georgia. Yeah. And now that, you know, that school district is being plummeted with these pages worth of a threatening letter and um, saying that they were doing something wrong when they decided there were some books because of the explicit sexual nature they did not want freely available in the library, which I think is yeah, They have a right to do that. We're going to talk about the excuse that the Biden administration used to go after this administration. But first, let's just hear from some of the parents that spoke up at the school board meeting in Georgia. If it is inappropriate to read in this building, then it is inappropriate, inappropriate to be in a library. It was an impassioned school board meeting this evening in Forsyth County. What rules are you respecting for my child who can't speak for themselves? A group of concerned parents showing up, calling on an immediate audit of Forsyth County Schools libraries, removing what they say is hundreds of books containing inappropriate sexually explicit content. We are not about banning books. We are about banning pornography. Why do parents have to fight to get these books out? Presenting pedophilia. Not only that, but rape and other things that is not appropriate for any child that is a minor. Well, those concerns sounded reasonable, didn't they? They did. I mean, just asking for the right to decide when, how, and if their kids are going to be exposed to sexually graphic material sounds Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. So just because, Candy, just because parents verbalized uh, these concerns to the school district and to actually take some action in a response to parent parental concerns, somehow the Biden administration decided that it was creating a hostile environment. And that's really concerning, Candy. Yeah, exactly. That was the result that this may be creating a, a quote, hostile environment from a federal investigation against this school district. 
in May, just to kind of give a little background, in May, the Department's Office for Civil Rights, that's the Education Department now being weaponized against parents, that Office for Civil Rights sent a letter to this school district superintendent announcing the outcome of this investigation, which was entirely predictable when we see kind of how this administration leans. They concluded that the removal of, or, or even review, but the removal of these explicit books may have created a hostile environment. And I just want to emphasize the word may. It's like they didn't even have proof. You know, they've, they've come out and said it may have created a hostile environment. And for our YouTube viewers, we're just going to put some images from that letter from the Biden administration that was sent to the school district on the screen there. So you can see kind of what they were saying. And so now with this conclusion from their so-called investigation, which I think is also questionable what the investigation was, they are demanding that the school district take some steps to resolve this issue. And what are those steps? It's to do climate surveys of the students and, quote, offering supportive measures to students. I I think we pretty much know that those measures, the climate surveys, are going to become tools to bring in more LGBTQ indoctrination. Um, But besides that, what... Why should people be concerned about the Biden administration doing this to a local school district? Well, I think it's a concern because it it is starting to federalize education. And that is not that's not what our Constitution wants. It's being used as a tool to silence parents. It's being as used as a tool candy to intimidate school board members from doing their due diligence and their duty of which they are empowered to do by their state constitutions. It's also, uh, it's just such an overreach, a power grab. And I think they're just seeing if it works down there. Uh, and then they intend to do that mm-hmm. everywhere. And that, that intimidation of parents to the, to the school board, to the superintendent, um, that's not what education should be about. And uh, it's, very, it's very concerning to me to see that. See, I think that's an important point. It's not just the parents they're trying to intimidate. It. This is a message to school board members to not listen to the parents. That's right. So as a former school board member, what message are you getting from this letter? Like what happens in, if you as a school board member don't comply with these demands that they're making? Well, obviously, you think about funding. Funding is so important for school districts. So um, I'm sure the school board members would be starting to ask their attorney, could they pull funding if we don't comply with every jot and tittle of this letter that says only may? They have not found evidence. Um, and so that's, that's always a confer- concern for school board members, right, um, is funding and, and federal funding. Um, it's, it's going to draw some lines in the sand, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, this is always a concern. Uh, what voices are school board members listening to? And this is really a a powerful overreach. Yeah, and I think you're right. It is a a shot across the bow because you've got school districts right now in Hanover and Spotsylvania dealing with these book battles. Um, We do have um, school board members and that are listening to parents and they do see the problem and even superintendents and saying, these are so explicit. They actually should not be. And they do want to um, just remove the sexually explicit content books. And, you know, there's in the public arena, parents can buy and, and allow their children to see whatever books are necessary. But in a public school library, parents are not there 24-7. And to have that just open to students, there are concerns. And uh, school board members are hearing and are listening to parents. And they are stepping up to the plate and agreeing that yeah. this sexual material is not does not belong there. And maybe it's because parents were being so effective 
They that, are they being think effective. They have to use federal agencies now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a this is definitely a um, you know a comeback at them. It's a new strategy. It's a new. Yeah. They're constantly looking for the next and new strategy to silent parent voices, and parents mm-hmm. should not be silent um, when it comes to what's being given to their students K twelve. Yeah. Let's just briefly touch on the justification that the Biden administration's education department is using for this because sure. um, they're citing federal non-discrimination laws in this investigation. And, of course, it's kind of hard to say that parents objecting to explicit material are doing some kind of discrimination. That's a hard case to make. Yes. So what they've done is twist things. They've done this kind of contortion act to try to make the case that this is about something other than sexually explicit material. And because a lot of these books at issue that are very explicit have things like pedophilia, descriptions of rape, things like that, um, they have LGBTQ themes. So the Biden administration has looked at that, um, has taken comments parents have made in public on social media about that there's LGBTQ themes and said, well, this this is about discrimination against LGBTQ. They've even brought up some race um, claims based on the fact that some of these explicit books have a ethnic character. But the parents have said over and over, no, it's it doesn't matter the storyline. It's because it's sexually explicit. Right? Well, yes, graphics these days. Um, I mean, graphics are... Graphic no, books, like graf- comic right. books. The graphics in the books yeah. and graphic books themselves, like comic books. I mean, with today's digital technology, this is not like just some a hand sketch that you're not really sure yeah, what yeah. they're talking about. This is this is putting right in the face of very young children. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it goes even down to kindergarten, first grade, are seeing very, very graphic pictures of um sexual of body parts of sexual acts mm. of all the what many parents would consider extremely inappropriate mm-hmm. so you're right candy it's not it's not the storyline it's not because there's a not uh, a, not a representation of certain um demographics Groups. yeah yeah that's not the point the point is that these are sexually explicit materials that are graphically jarring. They're even graphically jarring to parents. And ironically, um, you know, when parents read and hold pictures up at school board meetings. Right, we've seen. Yeah, they, then, then all of a sudden the school boards get concerned who are for these materials and they ask the room to be cleared of minors. Yeah, yeah there's children in the room. There's children in the room. We have to, or you can't say that. They'll forbid a parent for coming in and reading a library book. That's and in, yet they yeah. allow the book to be in the library. I That is confusing to me. That is illogical. And I think we've seen the extreme that it's gone. And parents need to keep that pressure on. And school boards are listening. And they will continue to listen. It's very encouraging. Thank you, Sherry. You're welcome. Well, we've been talking a lot today about efforts to weaken pro-family school board members or school board members that are actually listening to concerns about parental rights. But you are involved in an effort that strengthens uh, school board members that actually want to make sure parents' and students' rights are being respected. Tell us about that. That's true. In January, um, we launched a statewide new initiative called the School Board Member Alliance of Virginia. 
And this is for individual school board members uh, to belong and join. Uh, this school board alliance is for this purpose of looking at school board governance and what are the powers and duties of school board members. Um, and definitely, we are all about including parents in our governing process. We want to um, train up school board members to be very aware of parental values, be aware of common sense governance, be aware of um, common sense when it comes to grading, meritocracy. Mm -hmm. um, there's many of our academic uh, principles that have been lost in social issues. And so this is for giving new school board members, um, current school board members, a place to come and get guidance and be able to have a networking system so that they can govern in a transparent way and that they can also govern um, remembering who got them elected, which often are very conservative pockets uh, all over the state. And some, some districts, I mean, of course, we have counties and cities that um, are, are very uh, conservative and they want their school board members to govern in such a way that reflects these uh, this world this worldview, right? Yeah. So, um, so we have the school board alliance, and it is for members to join. Uh, we put out a monthly newsletter, um, and we are starting with focusing on the powers and duties of school board members. Let me stop you real quick, just to help people understand how important this is, because up until this point, when you and others launched this Alternative School Board Association, there had been another 200-pound gorilla, so to speak, in the room <laughs> Yes, that was really the only support system out there for school board members, and that was the Virginia School Board Association. Tell us what the problem was with that existing school board association, how it had become politicized, and how this is counterbalancing that. Um, it's true. That is a, a big gorilla in the room. And um, the Virginia School Board Association ex has been a monopoly for 118 years guiding school board members. And when I became a member of that, because the whole school board joins, they are an association as a bo for boards um, and not individual members. Um, after trainings, I could see that this, this did not um, align with my principles, their suggestions, their guidance, their training, and then their full-time lobbying staff up here in Richmond um, did not align with me at all. And I tried to withdraw my membership, but the way they have it set up currently is if you are a minority on a board, they, uh, the board may vote to join the VSBA because they always have. And as a result, I was forced money from um, taxpayers that I represented automatically went to the VSBA um, on my behalf, even though I didn't want to belong. And I said, you know, there has to be something for individual members that they can find a place that aligns with their values and aligns with uh, their constituents' values, most importantly. That is so powerful. I just want to thank you for starting this. Sherry is the chair of this organization. Thank you. So if people listening want to help their school board member feel supported with advocating for parental rights and other issues, making sure the money actually gets into the classroom for students and things like that, um, Sherry, how did they help get the word out about what you're doing? Right. Well, um, we have a great website that tells all about us and who, who we're endorsed by and how to join. It's www.my.com. SBMA, 
www.ghostofthecitycenter.org. And um, encourage, ask your school board members that you've elected, and if you feel that they are um, often struggle to stand on their own and stand for conservative values, and and if you know parents can often tell that the squirming and and the pressure that is being put on. Uh, conservative school board members um, when they're in public meetings, talk with them about this and encourage them to join and um, get some guidance in that way. Throw that website out there one more time. All right. It's www.mysbma.org. All right. Great. Thanks, Candy. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today for Speak Up Virginia. Remember to share the Speak Up Virginia playlist on YouTube with your friends. And if you're listening to us on the audio-only version on Apple or Spotify, things like that, be sure and give us a review if you like what you're hearing to help us get the word out there to more people about the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together.